This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 24. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Thank you, Sal. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more, and today we're discussing Deep Space Nine's first episode, The Emissary. <clears throat> Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Okay, so today we're talking about uh, Deep Space Nine's The Emissary, <clears throat> and uh, this was broadcast. This was the pilot episode, the first episode, uh, straight to syndication, as we remember, the, the, the uh, UPN Paramount Network was Voyager, so this was before that, uh, following the lead of Star Trek Next Generation, straight to syndication. This was January 3rd, 1993, which I realize is actually my daughter's birth, not 1993, my daughter's not that old, but her, her birthday would be 20 years later uh, on the same day, which is kind of interesting. Mm. Uh, if I'd known that, I would have named her, you know, Jedzia or something. <laughs> like my wife would have allowed that. Better than Nerese. Or Odo, actually, would have been a great little girl's name. So, uh, so like you said, this is Deep Space Nine. It had seven seasons, uh, mm-hmm. just like the, the Next Generation, just like Voyager, unlike poor Enterprise. And yeah. so, um, they're very interesting. Last week, we talked about Encounter at Farpoint, which was the first episode of Next Generation. Apparently, Encounter at Farpoint was an inspiration for this story, because yeah. human and alien... Uh, in which the human has to prove himself and all of humanity and a test that will last throughout the series. And it takes place on an alien station made available for Federation use on the edges of known space. Sounds familiar. Uh, Only way better. (laughs) Only better. To be fair, this was a much, much more effective way of telling that story than Farpoint was. (laughs) Also, you notice some of the they did the exact same thing. And the writer of this episode even talked about he this was a swipe from Farpoint where he said, "Ooh, you don't have to introduce the entire main cast all at once. You can introduce mm-hmm. part of them halfway through, which is what they did here. And it worked fine. Yes. Yes. Again, mm-hmm. another another good idea. Uh, I think kept. the one big difference about this story, though, is it does a much better job setting the tone of the entire series. Oh, yes. 
Dark? Very much so. <laughs> Dark. Yeah, well, and, and, and it's one of the first things I, I pointed out was like you go from the, the bright and shiny of Starfleet. You know, Starfleet is all air. The ships are always brightly colored and the interiors are brightly lit. And then you go to this old Cardassian station that's dark and brutal and yes. depressing. Brutal, especially like almost like the like Cardassians invented brutalist architecture. I mean, the Cardassian exactly. architecture is very unhuman. It's not, you know, it's very uncomfortable for, for humans to, to look mm-hmm. at. But we don't and that's, start. That's, that's a trend in the series, too. Is yes. They talk about that, how it is very uncomfortable from a human standpoint. Right. The- they even talk about how the temperature is too hot because Cardassians, you know, some like it hot. Exactly. <laughs> so, but the, of course, the episode doesn't start there. And in fact, it starts in a very unusual way for Star With Trek. With an opening crawl. I know. A yeah. long time ago. In a, <laughs> yeah. a long time from now. In a star in the- system far, far away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we, we are uh, at Wolf 359 and we see, a. I mean, it's a very grim beginning. We see a battle. We see uh, a civilian woman die. We see the main character distraught and grieving. Uh, I mean, Starfleet at its low point. Um, that's that's a very we, different place to start. And we see Captain Picard as a Borg, which is a really good thing. If you're any kind of fan of the original series, this is one of the most iconic stories of the next generation Best mm-hmm. of Both Worlds, Parts 1 and 2, could have easily been a feature movie and one of the better ones. Right. Exactly. And and to, to touch, use that as our jumping off point, as our touchstone for this, is a really smart move in terms of grabbing the fans' attention and hooking them into the story. And and it really tur- it turns, it sort of turns the story a bit because what we have is, is, the other side of that story, which is at Wolf 359, Picard betrays Starfleet against his will, obviously. But right. but so how does how do other Starfleet officers feel about that? And this yeah. is that this is that story. And in fact, as we go on, you know, uh, uh, Picard and, and Cisco encounter each other uh, and um, Picard doesn't realize Cisco's story. And Cisco yeah. is hostile. He hates yeah. Picard. Yeah. And that's, a, yep. a, again, another very interesting choice. Here is Picard, beloved by Star Trek fans. And mm-hmm. your your main character of your new series hates him. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> I love that. I love that line where, well, it, it's, how did he put it? Did we meet Meeti- before? We're meeting again, sir. We've met before, sir. And where? Wolf 359. Yeah. And you yeah. see Picard's face like, oh. And yeah. <laughs> just stuck the knife in. Brilliant yep. acting in that scene by Patrick Stewart, by the way, that that yes, uncomfortableness, yeah. that that uh, uh, you know, he the pain you see in his face, and mm-hmm. then he quickly moves back to business, but that pain never quite leaves, and and yet he's still yeah. all business. Yeah, and what? also he on the writing level too. It's really nice here because what do you say if you were Lacutus Borg and someone has just thrown that in your face? <sighs> Mm-hmm. And you, it, you, there's no productive. I mean, you can't say I'm sorry because you weren't at fault, right, but right. you know your actions did hurt this person. I mean, you could say I'm mm-hmm. sorry just as a matter of courtesy, but that's not. You know, he, well, Picard decides there's no no good way to respond, so right. he doesn't and just moves on. Well, especially since it's an incident that Picard himself feels hurt by. Yeah, right. you know that. You know that he was, he, he, he was psychically and physically raped in essence by the board. Exactly. 
Exactly. Right. And it, it is it is interesting contrast. Of course, this was fifth season, sixth, sixth, sixth season of Next Gen. I can't remember sixth. when it came out. Yeah. Sixth. You know, to see the, the development of Picard, you know, last week we watched Farpoint and Picard just seemed like a stone, a rock. Right. You know, there was nothing there. No, not there in no a good emotion. way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, no, this wasn't like he aggression. was reliable. Yeah. He was, you know, it was very just just a jerk. Right. And then to see him in this where he knows he needs to be professional, but to have that emotion right. as well. Yeah. Patrick Stewart has fully developed this character at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to go back to just for just a moment. So after the opening crawl, you know, we have the space battle against overwhelming force and then the escape pod launches with the plans for the Death Star. And <laughs> Oh, wait, oh, wait, no, that's a little no, wait, different, different, <laughs> different podcast. Sorry. Um, no, but I did want to say I thought the escape pod launch was really effective. Yes, uh, because we see. Um, we see Cisco, he's, he's been, you know, drug screaming away from where his wife has just died and dumped into an escape pod where Jake is. And then from, we get a POV shot on board the escape pod as it launches. And we see the ship that it was on just zoom away in the background under fire by the board. Right. And yep. it's a really, it's a very brief shot, but it's a really effective one. Yes, it is. Right. And then that ship blows up. Fairly definitively, not not just fairly, yeah, but yeah. very definitively. So a couple Your of wife, she did. Yeah, a couple of interesting points about that opening sequence. First, it's the only appearance of the Borg in Deep Space Nine, so we will never mm-hmm. see them again. Which is mm-hmm. interesting, given that uh, Cisco's animus should also include the Borg. So very interesting. Right. But I think it would have been yeah. problematic in Next Generation, and I'm sorry, in DS Nine, because. You, the, if you're on the station, there's no escaping from the Borg. You know what I mean? The, the station is stationary, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so th- I can see why they would never show up. And you, you, and you had plenty of other bad guys to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. Also, did you recognize the Vulcan captain of the Saratoga? You might not have. We see him I again later. I recognized there was a Vulcan captain of the Saratoga. Yeah. Played by J.G. Hertzler, who was General Martin. Oh, Yes. <laughs> very interesting acting <laughs> job there. Uh, so I thought that was very funny. Uh, yeah. He, he really he really grew as as uh, as General Martok. Oh, yes. Yeah, he did. So the idea of taking your families into battle, this is the, something that has always bugged me about the next generation was this idea of dragging your families along, especially when you know you're going into battle against the Borg at Wolf 359, that like in Farpoint, they separate the, ba- the the saucer and send the families off safely. Like at that point, they knew that was something that should be done. Like going into a battle against the Borg, like they were, like they knew the odds against them, and not evacuating the families beforehand. That seems incomprehensible. Yeah. To me. Well, so I mean, it does, but I suppose one can headcanon that on the grounds that the Borg attack was so sudden. Yeah. They didn't have time to offload everybody. Right. And and a lot of these ships may not have had saucer separation capabilities. Right. Uh, like because right. the one they're on is basically a saucer with a couple of nacelles. It's not like it has a secondary hull it can separate right. from. It's essentially the Reliant from Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I get that. I mean, they could have put them on the escape pods to begin with and shot the, the escape pods off. But yeah, I know what you're saying. It You had to ramp. Yeah, I mean, there had to be this tension. There had to be. Um. Jennifer dying in this battle. I mean, that's and, and what what roles do those civilians play on the ship? You know, right? Do they have actual? I mean, are they are they Bartenders? civilian employees? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Right. I, well, I, I mean, we'd that. see that in, in next generation next, yeah. where the civilians would have, you know, very important roles within the ship. They Sometimes. weren't just, you know, not all the time. I mean, most of them were like botanists and things like that. Or, or stay-at-home but, parents of that yeah. sort. Yeah. Um, so we so we, we go from that scene to um, Jake and uh, Cisco on a holodeck uh, mm-hmm. fishing. And I got three years a, later, three years. Yes. Three years later on their way to Deep Space Nine. And so one of the, the ways that Deep Space Nine has been described is it's a Western about a man and his son who arrive at a frontier town with the country doctor, the barkeep, the sheriff, the mayor, the common man, O'Brien, and the native hero. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's sort of got that Western formula. And yeah, yeah And so you absolutely. have the man and his son. And I have to say, you, you even got the brothel owner with Quark as <laughs> right, the madam. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and what you have with Cisco and one of the reasons I really love this series is Ben Cisco is not just a Starfleet captain. Eventually, he's a commander. Um, he's a dad. He's a good dad. He's mm-hmm. a father figure in ways that Picard and Kirk not only weren't, but couldn't be because of their right. personalities. And he cares about his family more than he cares about Starfleet. And he makes that clear right from the beginning where he's talking about resigning Starfleet if he has to, to take care of Jake. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, and which creates some conflict uh, early on. Um, so that's so that's the first impression of, of Cisco and Ben. Uh, mm-hmm. We get a first impression of Kira. Wasn't as good, I, I have to say. She comes yeah. across as very aggressive and combative. Now, keeping in she mind, was, she was meant to be Ensign Rowe. Yes, and and mm-hmm. the actress Michelle, whatever her name Forbes. is, decided. Yeah, Forbes decided not to to do the part, and so they they re envisioned the Ensign Rowe part as Kira Norris. In fact, the whole mm-hmm. reason this was set at, this created as a show set on Bajor was because they wanted to build it around Ensign Rowe. They loved those mm. that character and those episodes of Next Generation so much that they wanted to continue it on in this. Um, I, 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 I imagine what it would have been like to have Ensign Rowe in this right. role. I, th- I think I like I like it better the way it turned out. I yeah. think Kira mm-hmm. Norris is a better and more interesting character than Ensign Rowe. One of the reasons for that is uh, n- not just does she have more sides than Ensign Rowe did, but she also uh, is a sincere believer, and her faith, which Roe didn't have in the same way. Yeah, um, right. Roe was kind of a lapsed Bajoran believer. <laughs> um, yeah, but Kira is devout, and that really puts an accent mark over her relationship mm-hmm. with Cisco as the emissary and with everything else going on with Bajor in the series. Well, what, another aspect of Kira that was makes her superior to Ro is that she was on Bajor the entire time as a freedom fighter, as a revolutionary right. or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, against the Cardassians, which she had- colors everything she does in the series. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why she is so aggressive early on. She's not, she didn't go to a military academy. She didn't, like, she's Mm. not an officer with a, you know, officer, well, in a a lady or gentleman, you know what I mean? But she's, she was a rough and tumble terrorist, basically. And you can, you can imagine her frustration where they fought for so long to get their freedom and they get their freedom and immediately, oh, let's invite in the Federation. Well, she doesn't. 
She's yeah. not going to know the difference between the Federation and the Cardassians. All she knows is more outsiders are coming. And yes, they're supposedly having the, the hand of peace. But are they really? Right. Yeah, that was something I had in my notes that Kira's concerns about the Federation are totally legitimate. Yes. You know, yeah. it, they, she's just dead on. I mean, they, we know the Federation are good guys or we think we do. But <laughs> um, but it, it, if you had just liberated your planet the, from one group of people saying who came in saying they were here to help. Is mm-hmm. the last thing you want is another group of people coming in and right. saying they're here to help. What if we yeah. had after the Revolutionary War, we got rid of the British and, and the, the French came in and the French came in like that it, to kind of we're yeah. here to help. Yeah, I'm not sure we'd, we would have been happy with it either. Um, you know, yeah, which, that's, that's what makes her such a, a endearing yeah. character on the other the hand, development of that. Yes, exactly. Yes. And on the other hand. The planet has been stripped of its resources. It's struggling to feed its people. You know, mm-hmm. they have nothing. And that and so you can also understand why the provisional government invited the Federation in. Yeah. Like right. You've got a little of both. I like, by the way, the realism of it being a provisional government, because that's what happens when you have newly liberated places is the, a mm-hmm. provisional government is the first thing that gets established as a temporary measure before right. things settle down enough, you can establish a regular government. Right. Exactly. And, and to make it clear, this is two weeks after the Cardassians left. Right. This and is, this, we're not talking months. We're not talking years. We're ta- talking 14 days. And the station looks it, right? The, the Cardassians, yeah. like, ruined the, the place. The station looks it, but yeah. Bajor looks it. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's it, clear that this was very sudden. And they, 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 the, the Bajorans didn't win against the Cardassians. I mean, that's a, they mm-hmm. didn't defeat them militarily. The, the, Correct. the Cardassians left because there was nothing left to take. And that's a very yep. subtle distinction, but it's an important one, uh, throughout right. the series. Uh, so, um, we also get introduced to Odo, um, who mm-hmm. interestingly, his makeup is not finalized at this point. It's, yep. it's much rougher. <laughs> I've been watching around in Deep Space Nine lately, and they actually seem to change his makeup several times um, before the end. But that's understandable or at least justifiable in terms of on-screen reasons because he is a shapeshifter. Right. Right. I I always find it interesting that he can shapeshift to appear like someone else, but chooses for some reason to on his day-to-day to to just like have this sort of – Putty like face, yeah. With, without definition, Maybe it's less when, less effort. You know, yeah. when, when he when he's not being Mister Butterworth, the maple syrup man, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, the, again, a couple of nice moments in this uh, episode where he gets to show off, like this is what we're uh, uh, something we've got to work with in the series is a shapeshifter who can you know go to places that he can't otherwise, etc. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. Um. We have a nice mix of Starfleet and non-Starfleet where they have to work together very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, Miles O'Brien being an example of Starfleet that yes. is working with these other people. It's great to see Cole Meany get his his moment here in the in mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine. He was, uh, as they said, as the producers said, <clears throat> they felt like he was his talent was being wasted as a transporter chief on the Enterprise. That, that right. he he needed more to you know with this. I really love that that goodbye moment that he had with Picard. That was such <laughs> where, fun. Where, where Picard's oh, but it's got the the awful bit in it too about where Picard says, "I understand this was your favorite transporter room," and and, and even O'Brien says, "It's just a transporter room, sir." <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, although uh, I've I've known uh, people who have a, a like responsibility for equipment who have a particular affinity for certain pieces. Right. Oh, yeah, that's truck number three. She was my favorite, or whatever that sort of thing. So I, 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 I get that. Plays. I get that because you know I was a I was computer guy. You know I had servers, but there was one particular server I, I that was mine. <laughs> yeah. That's you know uh, one of the programmers would come. Oh, we need such and such and such. You're not going to do it. That's mine. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I understand it. Yeah. I get it. But- computer systems are are one thing because they get personalized, but transporter rooms don't really get personalized. They it's it's it would be like being a supermarket cashier and it's like ooh i understand this was your favorite checkout lane uh, on the other oh, hand come on you know, you, you know you know chief o'brien had the little bobblehead that he stuck on the console <laughs> that we never saw he had it tuned just right for you know transport um what, one of the things that 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 scene showed to me was how picard has gathered around him a crew of people that don't leave generally. I mean, his crew mm-hmm. has stayed with him, oh. unusually so, uh, uh, bizarrely so, to the point <laughs> right. that it that nobody. I mean, they finally sorta, kinda addressed the promotion issue on the show by giving people promotions in a way that didn't change their actual jobs. Right. But mm-hmm. um. But but in the real military, you yeah. you move up or or yeah. you move up and on into a new assignment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in fact, well, it's, it's like the whole, yeah, the whole thing with Riker and oh, he's yes. been offered the captain's chair twice. And yeah, in the real military, if you say no twice to a promotion, they usually won't give you a third unless you're really hot stuff. Right. Exactly. It, and that's the tension between running a TV show and trying to be accurate to real life is yeah. you don't want to be sending your cast off, you know, well, leaving them behind. Ba- Babylon 5 handled it better i thought yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean i've seen shows that do it uh so it, mm-hmm. i guess they just they like to keep it together but but here you know so you saw a, a moment where picard did have to send one of his crew you know say goodbye to someone who'd been with him literally from the beginning as we saw he was the mm-hmm. uh, bull was in the very first episode of uh star trek the next generation so um another character that we encounter is early on is kai opaka um she is mm-hmm. essentially the pope of the Bajoran religion. Yeah. Um, and very so what the the backstory and b- is that, bizarrely she's in seclusion. Well, yes, the well she was probably in seclusion to be safeguarded from the Cardassians at some point. But um that was so 2 weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> so the 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 backstory is they need uh the Bajorans, the, the Federation needs the Bajorans to get behind we we have to accept help from the from the Federation and become a member of the a full fledged member of the Federation because Bajor is the, is a strategic point with the Cardassian, and in order and, to get and, that they need her backing with the with the people in the government. They get that they get the government. Yeah, and notice how important religion is becoming here in an unprecedented way in Star Trek. Right. Um. In neither the original series nor the animated series nor Next Gen. Do we have a religion be playing this big a role mm-hmm. as it is as it as it is in this series, um, where it gets taken seriously and it's not just debunking God right. or an occasional reverent reference to God, but we have a real seri- a religion being taken actually seriously here. Right. And it's a religion that's not just kind of a vague spiritual feeling. It's a religion that's based on reason. 
based mm-hmm. on practice. You know, they, they've taken what the, the orbs have produced, have, have shown mm-hmm. them, and they've developed this religion around that, yep. that, you know, it, it's, yeah. they have it ritual. Really, like you said, it is yeah. something serious. It is this, not this a fluff. Is a- this is a very practical religion. This is a very grab your ear and tell you you're the emissary religion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they grab you right by the ear and pull you along. This, I mean, they have ritual, they have doctrine, they have hierarchy, they have – it's an institution very very clearly. And it's a very ancient one. I mean, they talk about mm-hmm. – um, they don't say clearly how old you know, the Bajoran it's civilization is. Thousands of years, like at least 10,000. Right, right. right, and probably more. I mean, they remember that, the, yeah. the, that at some point there's talk about – 45,000 years, which is, again, if, if you know your history, that's longer than all of human recorded human civilization, 10,000 mm-hmm. years. Our oldest records are 10,000 years. So, you know, the, the, we're told that the Bajorans are a much older civilization than a human civilization. Um, so there's, there's that. So they may be down and out, but they're certainly not less than the rest of the, mm-hmm. us, is the idea. Um, she, Kaiopaka, she, she knows something about Cisco already. You know, there's some, somebody's been whispering in her ear about Cisco. Um, and he's, one of the things about Cisco in this episode that, you know, Avery Brooks's acting of that is all of Cisco's little expressions. The, mm-hmm. he gets like abused smirks or like when the holographic pool disappears and there's a staircase, he kind of gets that quirk in his head and a little like, huh, that's kind of cool. And, yeah. yeah, look on his face, and then follows well, Kaiopaka down. That's that's what they, I, I love when uh, Cisco first meets Kira, and he almost has a look on his face like, "Oh, this is going to be kind of fun to spar with her." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I was going to comment about an, a slightly earlier moment where you know he Cisco. I have in my notes is he's just such a more likable captain. Yeah, mm-hmm. at this point than Picard exactly. is. Yeah, Picard in his first episode was a was a passive aggressive jerk. And Cisco is a warm, caring guy with a range of emotions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he genuinely cares about about Jake, his son. There's a moment where um, they're in their quarters for the first time, and it's a total mess um, because of what the Cardassians did as they were leaving. It's sort of what the Democrats did to the White House when George W. Bush won and they were leaving. <laughs> um, you know, they've, they've trashed the place. And... Um, and so uh, Cisco is standing there with Jake and Jake is like, there is no place to sleep here except a cushion on the floor. And he's going, we're going to have to rough it for a while. And Jake is like, OK. And Cisco playfully, I mean, Avery Brooks chooses a line reading for the next word, which is, again, OK. And he could have just said, OK, in a matter of fact way. Yeah. And instead, he says it in this playful way yes. that that kind yeah. of poke pokes fun a little bit at Jake and lifts his mood. Yes. And and you get that is just such a great little touch. And then later when he's on the beach in the in the orb vision, um, and he realizes I'm back at the beginning of my relationship with Jennifer, and he just goes, Ow! You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just yeah. he's so <laughs> kind of joyful yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. Well I, I love the scene where they're in the uh uh security office and he's He's being as devious to Quark as Quark is to other people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whereas, you know, you, you don't want your nephew, your your brother's son to spend the, the best part of his life in jail, but you can become our community organizer. <laughs> yeah. Right. You can be the community leader. Um, <laughs> it, it's very interesting about Quark is that he, of I think of anybody, is 
is his personality is sort of what it's going to be throughout the series. Yeah. Um, Armin mm-hmm. Shimmerman has got Quark down already. Um, oh, yeah. And it's it's a great character. I mean, but before Quark, the Ferengi were just annoying. No, like you yeah. just mm-hmm. I didn't like the any time there was a Ferengi episode in Next Gen. But Quark changed all that uh, yeah. and yeah. made the Ferengi interesting. Quark and Ram and Nog together. Yes. All did mm-hmm. that. Although um, I got to point mm-hmm. out that Rom in this episode is not the Rom that the beloved bumbling right. sort of got, fellow that we see later. Uh, yeah. And that. And that actually is a natural, I think was a natural development of that character. I mean, they really, they took him from being, you know, basically a thief and a liar to, well, the ensign. Well, uh, Nog, you mean? Nog. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, but I you said, I'm sorry. I thought you said Nog. Yeah, yeah wrong. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, all yeah. these three-letter names. I, miss, uh, I misheard. Yes. But you're but right. Eventually, Nog- eventually, he's Mr. Progressive Enlightened Ferengi. Right. Exactly. Right. But you're right about Nog. Nog has a a very big journey. I mean, by the end, he's a, a battle scarred war veteran with PTSD. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, and an officer uh, in, the, in, the, in Starfleet. I mean, that is quite the journey that he takes. It's very yeah. it, it is great. Um, of, of all of them, Quark has the least journey. He's, yes. His character mm-hmm. is fully formed at this point, basically, and he's he ends right where he started as as the barkeeper and, you know, kind of mainstay of the promenade. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody else has changed so much. Um, one of the great lines from Quark in this episode, when uh, Cisco goes into the bar and asks, you know, how's this? How's the local synth ale? And he says, never trust an ale from a God fearing people. And I'm thinking to myself. He's obviously never tried Trappist beer. Uh, <laughs> you know, I wrote the same thing down. I got yeah. it right here. <laughs> there is there is a long history of alcohol brewing and monasteries. Yeah. Maybe maybe from certain <laughs> Calvinist uh, sorts. <laughs> by, by the way, you, you can beer. tell how, how, how we think. We like beer, you know, so we hear that <laughs> line. So immediately, oh, he hasn't had a good beer, apparently. <laughs> well, I, I live within about 40 miles of the only Trappist uh, brewery in America yes. outside of or outside of Europe. So. <laughs> Actually, the uh, individual things like that aside, the dialogue in this episode is way better than the dialogue was oh, yes. in Farpoint. Yes, yes, with very much. With one better. exception, with one exception that is like a writing tick that they develop that is some kind of awful, um, <laughs> which, which is a reference to a writing tick on deep on Voyager. Yes, um, where the crew is always saying some kind of this, some kind of some that. kind of cloud. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in this, we have the prophets when we finally meet them, they have their own writing tick, which, and we get just endless variations of it. Like pleasure. What is this wormhole? What is this baseball? What is this (laughs) die? What is this? I mean, those are, I wrote down all uh, those and other examples from this. What is this time? You know, it's like, come on, you guys are supposed to be super knowledgeable beings, we shouldn't have to explain all these things to you. I mean, maybe well, baseball. Well, the, 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 it also begs the question, or, or raises the question, I should say, of what is this wisdom, the religious wisdom that they've been dispensing to the Majorans yeah. for 10,000 years if they don't know the first thing about linear existence? I, I don't I understand. It, the, the, this is a conceptual problem with the prophets as, as serious. And uh, the prophets also... It's like the series writers have certain knowledge gaps. Prophets speak for someone. 
That's mm-hmm. what uh, prophets do. Although the, they're the, not gods. The, the popular prophet, conception is that prophets speak the future, and because they're nonlinear beings, they see they live yeah. in the in an, uh, they they live in the future and the past. I think that's the idea that they're trying to convey. I know that okay. technically that's that's supposed to speak on behalf of someone else, but I think that's right. what they're, they're Prophet, doing. Prophets are like oracles; they speak for a deity. Mm-hmm. They're not the deity. Right. Well, I, think, um, but, I think the point, too, is that, you know, they were putting out these orbs, but not necessarily for the Bajorans. At least at first, they don't say it's for the Bajorans. It was they said it was to reach other life forms, but they don't recognize linear life as a life form. Right. Yeah. It, it, it seems like I mean, it's bizarre because it seems like the Bajorans have a much better understanding of stuff than the prophets they're worshiping do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, it's, it's like, have, you know, have you actually met your gods? I mean, they're <laughs> kind of clueless. Right. Um, <laughs> but, so, but, and, but yet the Bajorans are right that Cisco is their emissary and it's all really important, except the prophets have no plan. At this point, for what's happening in the future, they really do come across as clueless wormhole aliens they and do. not mm-hmm. as transcendent beings. Um, they they don't understand all kinds of stuff that they would have to understand just to communicate with Cisco, right. which is itself a flaw in the writing because they're having linear communication with him. Right. Um, and I mean, there's a beginning, a middle and an end to their experience with him and their conversations they have with him. Um, so they clearly understand linear existence and time, even though they're saying mm-hmm. they don't. That's bad writing. Um, yeah. They also don't know that Cisco – they don't know as much as the Kai. The Kai knew that Cisco's the emissary as soon as she grabbed his ear. And the prophets d- are having a much more intimate experience than that, and they don't know it. They mm-hmm. think he's an intrusive alien, and they're about to kill him. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's – there are ways to retcon it, but it's just not satisfying because it's it, it there are those flaws that you just can't get around. Um, and they, you know, you you have to wonder if they they realized that after this episode was written, yeah, um, because they very quickly they 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 fill in a lot of those gaps that right. you know the, the aliens are wormhole aliens are aware of Bajor. they are aware of life outside the wormhole, they are aware of you know the Cisco, you yes. know they call them the Cisco. Right. You know, and so they, they very quickly make that transition with the aliens. Well, and then it turns out in the end that Cisco's half uh wormhole uh, alien yeah, yeah. anyway. Uh so yeah. They, Which they is ha- obviously something they came up with later as they, the yeah, series went they along. They backfill it. Uh Benny wrote it into his stories. Uh sorry, that, that's for something for way down the line when we talk <laughs> about that. That's yes. far beyond the stars, Dom. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so um speaking of the prophets. In a way, this sort of mirrors uh, Pike's experience in the Cage episode. Aliens bring him to an illusion of their life as it was or could have been. You know, so that's mm-hmm. that's Cisco's experience, mm-hmm. uh, and and then Pike. I thought that was a very interesting thing, and I I really like this idea where they they basically give him some psychotherapy. Like, why do you mm-hmm. exist right. in this place? Basically, Cisco, you haven't moved on emotionally or psychologically right. from the death of Jennifer. And they they make him confront that. And he doesn't even then really move on. It's not like he has a huge breakthrough and say, oh, you're right. I can put this behind myself now. Right. Instead, he tearfully admits, yeah, I'm stuck here. 
Yes. Yes. I mean, it's, there's a, talk about like an emotion, emotion filled pilot episode compared again mm-hmm. to encounter Farpoint. It's a much different experience. Yeah. Um, the realm of the prophets, by the way, I felt like, especially where he's like uh, overexposed and all in the white, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. It's very womb-like, if you notice. Like, it's, and it's, and they put a heartbeat in the soundtrack to make exactly. it even more womb-like. And every time you see him, by the way, on screen like that, they bring him closer and closer to the camera till the final one is just his eyes as he yep. starts as the tears come. I thought that was a very effective and subtle uh, thing they did. Uh, by the way, a notice. So a couple of things to note about the writing in this compared to Encounter at Farpoint. In Encounter at Farpoint. Even though they gesture at, you know, oh, my my father was a Starfleet officer for Troy and, oh, my dead husband or Picard brought my father's body back to me and my mom for Wesley. They gesture to these little things. Right. They don't really drive the characters forward. And mm-hmm. ever, all the focus is on Q and what happened in human history and what's happening at the Farpoint station. It's all outward directed rather mm-hmm. than character directed. And here we've met we've met loads of flawed characters mm-hmm. and we know loads about their backgrounds and their motivations. And it's and that's right. what's driving things forward. And yet not at the expense of the action. I mean, we get the the the, the bleep gets blown out of Deep Space Nine. And yeah, it's I'm like kidding. they blow the, the heck out of the promenade. And I mean, it was it looked bad before it, it really gets messed up in this one. Um, I mean, there's action galore in this episode, which it so it doesn't suffer for that. A um, couple other things. So we get Dax and uh, Bashir are like we said before, they're introduced later. They show up you know, further on in the episode. Bashir kind of comes across a bit of as a jerk, actually. A bit uh, of a jerk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And apparently intentional. He's supposed to be kind of clueless and, and jerkish. And grow as the series would, as mm-hmm. went on, yeah. and and you can do that with an ensemble cast. Just don't do that with your main character, who's a time lord, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or or captain uh, of the ship. Uh, yeah, and uh, so we establish his you know his hots for Jedzia early on here. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the thing, very embarrassing moments, uh, I have to say. Uh, but we also see him really put his foot in it with, with Kira. Kira. Oh my gosh, yeah. it was so bad. Like t- talking about how. Oh, I asked to be out here on the frontier in the wilderness where it's so primitive. And she's like, you can see her in the background getting hot, angrier yeah. and angrier. That's, that's just a great scene. That's just a great scene. And then she holds his feet to the fire saying, you'll find we are a simple but friendly people. She's <laughs> <laughs> oh, like two inches from his face ready to <laughs> yes, that was strangle him. In, incidentally, this is something they certainly didn't mean at the time, but in view, what he says at one point is one of the rem- most remote outposts was where he wanted to be. Yeah. And and that actually makes sense in terms of what they establish about him way down the line. Right. Which is his genetic engineering. Right. Because if you're if you're genetically enhanced and don't want anybody to know about it going off to a remote outpost yep. to practice medicine rather than being in the center of the medical establishment yep. is exactly what you would want to yeah, do. Exactly. Coming and, to the coming to the Starfleet version of Malta, Montana versus, <laughs> you know, Boston or San Diego. Right. <laughs> Except then it turns out there's a uh, wormhole to uh, to the middle of Beijing in, in Malta 
that everyone's going to yeah. start using. Oh, I was, was going to say Canada. We've got a port to Canada. It's only 60 miles away. No, <laughs> well, well there's kidding. that too. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it turns out this is going to now be the crossroads of the uh, Alpha Quadrant. Yes. Um, so, and then we have Dax, who is a Trill. We've seen Trill before, but they completely change the Trill and, from the from the next-gen Trill we saw. Right, and, and for the better. The spots are much more attractive than the head bumps. Right. In fact, mm-hmm. that it was they, the producers clearly said, that Terry Farrell is way too attractive to cover her face with the prosthetic. Just let her shine through. Um, and, and not to mention, it's much easier to do the little bit of makeup for the spots than it is yes. the prosthetics. And uh, then we have um, the the symbiont is actually a personality that that mm-hmm. is that is imbued that is carried and as a combination of personalities. What I, one of the things I find interesting is is like immediately Dax reestablishes this relationship with Cisco that he had with Curzon Dax, even though it's clear, you know, clearly set. I don't know if it's, if it, it I mean, soon they set this idea that um, the symbionts aren't supposed to maintain the old relationships from the old hosts. Uh, and I don't know why they, mm-hmm. they, they, they bring that up later on when they've clearly first established that Curzon is, is, was, you know, was friends with Cisco and they've maintained that relationship. Old man. I, I think it's, that you're they do want this the symbiont to have a wide diversity of experiences but it, when it becomes a bright line about who you're not supposed to reassociate with it's like former spouses yeah um right. former friends are one thing but you know you can have friends from one host to another but you can't have the same spouses so right. when you regenerate you can't have the same companions that they old no 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 that's something different yeah exactly <laughs> So uh what so there's an interesting little tidbit the scene where Odo is assisting Bashir in treating the wounded on the promenade and Odo mm-hmm. is very uncomfortable about like holding the the the, the you know the wound yeah is a tip that of the was hat great. it's a tip of the hat to a scene from the movie MASH where René mm-hmm. Aubergenois played Father Mulcahy and oh, is asked right. to assist a military surgeon in the operating room and, oh. and awkwardly complies so they very intentionally had this moment where they, cool. where they did this. It was kind of fun. Yeah, uh, that, I, I had forgotten that Rene Aubergeron played Father Mulcahy in MASH. Um, yeah, he's been a, he's played a lot of different parts. He's, oh, yeah. he's been a, a very diverse actor. Well, uh, you know, um, the, I knew him before the, before DS9 from the TV show Soap. And then right. Ben, was Benson. he also in Benson? Yep. Too? Yeah. Well, no, he was yep. Benson was where he really was. He played the assistant to the governor in Benson. Oh, right, right, right. right. And before that, he had a, I remember seeing him on the Bob Newhart show where he played a psychologist from France. Oh, OK. <laughs> and then, of course, I knew Avery Brooks from um, Spencer for Hire, which yep. was a mm-hmm. set in Boston private detective where Hawk was just the coolest character of all. Um, and I always thought Avery Brooks was really cool. So. Um, I'm sure that influenced my assessment of him as like my favorite captain. Um, incidentally, I prefer the Cis- the bald Cisco with beard. To, oh, everyone does. To the yeah, the, yeah to the the, the, sh- the clean shaven Cisco. I, I I heard Carrie, uh, Terry Farrell describe this version of Cisco as a black Ken doll. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody agrees he's way better once they let him shave his head and grow his goatee. Yes, uh, uh, again, the beard again. The beard when the beard shows There's something up. Something about so, Star Trek and the beard. <laughs> when Riker gets the, the beard, when yeah, yeah. growing the beard <laughs> increases the quality of the show. <laughs> 
So another thing we get about Cisco established in this episode is his love of the ancient and archaic game of baseball. Um, Which is the reason why I like Cisco so much. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, and that's one of those endearing aspects to his characters. I mean, it, it it can be a little annoying sometimes when you're watching these futuristic sci-fi shows when the characters, you know, they love something that's from the 20th century. Like like uh, you had um, Spring Ball or whatever. Well, well, th that's actually at least a, a, a futuristic game. But I mean, like mm -hmm. when Riker was a jazz aficionado. Or when Tom mm -hmm. Paris uh, loved 20th century TV. It, it's like, mm. of all, like, that's like saying, like, having somebody from the 21st century, you know, oh, I'm an aficionado of, you know, 18th century uh, plays, you know, uh, street plays or something. It's, it's just, it's sort of a, a strange affectation, but it's quite obviously a way to appeal to the audience in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, but this. You're saying this like it's odd. I mean, I like The Emperor of the Moon by English playwright Afra Ben. <laughs> if anybody would be that character, Jimmy, that would be you. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I really picked that out of thin air, too. Um, the uh, But but with, with Cisco, it doesn't feel like it's a, a, an appeal to the audience in that sense, in the same way, uh, a, a, a pandering to the audience. It, I don't know. It just feels like they're trying to do something that humanizes him, that that really mm -hmm. uh, brings mm -hmm. him down to earth. Is it, yeah, it's not driving the plot the way it does in some of these other cases. It's just yeah. a bit of humanization. There is a funny moment where, like, he's trying to explain linear existence and love and death. And, and then when they ask, him, what is baseball? And he's like trying yeah. to explain, he goes, I can't explain it. Yeah, <laughs> like, the rules don't matter. <laughs> like, having just tried to explain baseball to my nine-year-old, I can really understand <laughs> yeah. how difficult that can be. Uh, so, um, so we we go. I mean, we could talk a little about you know the 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 overarching story, which is the discovery of the wormhole, the movement of the of the station from around the orbit of Bajor to the Denorius Belt. To claim, like, claim to this, I mean, in one sense, it, it, as Kira recognizes, this puts Bajor on the map and really mm -hmm. takes Bajor from failed, destroyed planet to now we have something to build on to to really defeat our people from the the trade that will pass through this station. Uh, right. I mean, it's an yeah. interesting device that they've come up with this idea of a stable wormhole to another quadrant. Uh, that that this people now have control of if only it went to the delta quadrant instead we would have saved <laughs> ourselves a whole series <laughs> <laughs> then we could have just had them getting to the wormhole yeah yeah um yeah the, it's, so in this one so for people who know voyager goes to the delta quadrant this in this series the wormhole goes to the gamma quadrant Right, mm -hmm. which they t and it apparently drops off about the same distance away, seventy thousand light years, uh, is what they say in this episode. And how mm -hmm. they establish that is kind of weird because yeah. they, when they get to the other side of the wormhole, Cisco and Jadzia run a star check to find out where they are, and they and they realize they're seventy thousand light years away, and it's based on probes they sent in the twenty second century. To map the Gamma Quadrant 200 years ago in, in you know, yeah. Enterprise's time? Really? That far away? 
I, su- they- I suppose like a, a ship traveling at whatever the highest warp at the time, let's say it was warp five, takes a hundred mm-hmm. years to get there, sending back data the whole time. Yeah, but it, then you should have a map of everything in the Delta qua- in the Gamma Quadrant, and for that matter, all of the other quadrants. If you're sending things out that far, and you ought to know where all the species are, because of course you're going to not just map stars; you're going to look for te- signs of technological life. Well, you could uh, just to play a little devil's advocate. Like they, the the probe would not necessarily have had to go to the star system to map the star. No, but it would have gotten close in right. order to see see because you can't just look through the star clusters at the at the center of the galaxy. Right. You've got to get on the other side of them to do that map. Right. So it might have been close enough to see the star and identify it, but not close enough right. to see the the civilizations. Maybe. Except we all, we all we're, we know now how easy it is to spot civilizations. <laughs> well, we also see yeah. how in the Delta Quadrant it's it, it's it's littered with the detritus from. Earth probes sent out yeah. <laughs> from, from Earth, including Amelia Earhart and a uh, 1947 uh, pickup truck uh, yeah. floating in space that we happened to run across. So, yes, uh, that that is apparently true. Um, so, uh, any other do you, any other observations or notes that you guys have, Jimmy? I've got a few notes. Um, when Cisco is in the orb vision, and I like the orbs, and I like that they're these religious artifacts that can give you a real genuine experience of some mm-hmm. kind, um, because that makes it very concrete and communicates to the viewer that this has to be taken seriously. Um, it's not like we're going to make fun of this tribal religion here. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he's in the orb vision, uh, he's, he says he and Jennifer are on Gilgo beach and I didn't know where that was. So I looked it up and it's in long Island. Yeah. Um, and, but wow, does it look like Santa Monica beach to me? <laughs> um, that doesn't look like <laughs> long Island to me. <laughs> yeah. Those rock formations there. Um, I thought it was an awesome scene he has with Jennifer where he's at, back at the beginning of his relationship with her as a widower myself, I would totally have the same reaction he did. Um, I thought that was very human. I, I thought it was interesting. He is, he says, my father was a gourmet chef. Yes. Later, his father is a gourmet chef. There's mm-hmm. nothing past yeah. tense about it. Um, but his father's signature dish, according to this scene, is aubergine stew. And it's like, really? Eggplant stew? <laughs> That's what you want to serve this woman? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably a really good Cajun dish, I have to say, or or Creole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but eggplant is just not the most romantic thing I can imagine. Um, I thought it. Well, we get to see Morn for the first time in the bar mm-hmm, yeah. in this episode, so he's right there from the beginning. Um, I thought it was interesting and not plausible that when the uh, when the prophets have Cisco and Jadzia in the runabout, they like beam Jadzia back to the station, but keep Cisco. Yet they don't realize he's the emissary. So it's like, on what basis are, why don't you keep them both and let them both have visions with you? It right. didn't make any sense to me why, I mean, it's, I thought it was lazy writing to just get rid of Jadzia mm-hmm. so we can focus on Cisco. Also, the idea the prophets are nonlinear makes absolutely no sense if they're worried about being destroyed. You either are yeah. going to be destroyed or you're not. And if you're nonlinear, you already know that. So that right. doesn't make any well, sense. And they also don't know what to die is. So Yeah, they don't know what to die is. 
Um, I did think, and, you know, we talked about how the cage was viewed as being too cerebral by the studio execs back in the 60s. This was way more cerebral than the cage yeah. was. Yeah. And I noticed they didn't even explain what linear means to the audience. Well, linear means it's like a line. You know, they didn't mm. even do that for us. Um, so they were assuming quite a bit of knowledge there. They, I liked when they're about to have the battle with the Cardassians on the station. At one point, uh, Major Kira yells, shields up. And Miles O'Brien says, what shields? such a great moment yeah this is not a spaceship this is a space station or uh, had some great he had some great one-liners and scenes and especially in that that part of the the episode fire the six torpedoes that's all we have we're not gonna win this with torpedoes (laughs) chief (laughs) yeah um i i they another couple of weak spots in the writing when they've established when they get the Cardassians back through the wormhole, which defuses the current crisis with the Cardassians, um, they 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 just totally gloss over and say they had some problems on the other side, and that's why we're towing them back. Hmm. But we never saw any of those problems. We don't know what disabled their ship. It wasn't the profits. They were in the Gamma Quadrant or the Delta, the Gamma Quadrant. Right. Um, so we 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 jumped over some plot there. Um, well, they did, also, they did show the uh, the Kardashian ship coming out of the wormhole and was sparking and lightning all around and everything. So I think they're they're implying that something inside the wormhole caused the ship to be disabled. They didn't say that. They didn't. We some something happened to that ship, and it, we didn't see it happen in the wormhole. The no. last we saw of that ship, it was in the Gamma Quadrant. Um, so we don't know what happened there or how it got back into the wormhole. Um, but in any event, we jumped over some plot is my point. Um, and we jumped over another piece of plot too, because now all of a sudden traveling through the wormhole doesn't hurt the profits anymore the way it did when Cisco and Dax first entered. That, that mm-hmm. was what was the big threat to them is you're traveling through our spaceman and that hurts us. And now it doesn't for some reason. Um, then at the end we have last bit, we have the, just to wish him luck trope with the reappearance of the character from the primary show stopping off. And in this case, literally wishing Cisco luck in his new assignment. Um, But one thing Picard says in the course of that speech is this station is going to become an important center of commerce. Thus once again, (laughs) revealing that money exists in the 24th century. Right. Especially uh, with the frig you're involved. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the actually part of the, 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 the loss, you know, the, the skipping of the plot pieces here, there were 24 minutes of footage that was cut from this that they had filmed. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And, and in fact, uh, people involved with this, including the director, hope that someday there'll be some, a special edition produced that restores some of that. Uh, the teaser mm-hmm. was much longer, um, establishing what happened, you know, with the, the battle with the Borg, um, there was that also, could be why we got the crawl to summarize things quickly. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, there was also um, a deleted scene that featured Cisco bringing the orb back to Opaka. Um, mm. And let's see, uh, he tries to tell her that he believes the prophets to be wormhole aliens, but she tells him, uh, "I don't want to listen. This is why a disbeliever was destined to seek them. One should never look into the eyes of his own gods." 
which is a line that actually is comes up um, at the end of the first season in the finale when Win, who's Silvetic at that point, says uh, when asked uh, when she was once asked Kaiopaka why an outsider was chosen to speak to the prophets, right. that's what she said. So that hmm. that idea of uh, hmm. uh, is included. So there's a number of uh, scenes that were cut. Uh, so 24 minutes of, which is a lot. I mean, that's, wow. that's, yeah. that's nearly two thirds of a, of a full episode. Um, so uh, do you have any uh, last notes, Father Corey? Just one real small thing, a music note, um, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> Ooh, I saw what you did there. <laughs> I realized as soon as I said it, um, when the enterprise left the station for the first time, it started out with the TNG theme that immediately transitioned to the DS nine theme, kind right. of a nice musical touch there of that handing off. That's true. That is that is a very good uh, a, a good notice on that one. Um, looking at the cast as a whole, just as a last thing, um, Odo is clearly supposed to be a kind of Data or Spock, who's the outsider uh, looking in on humanity. Um, the, the Quark provides some humor and some built-in mm-hmm. conflict. You know that he's 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 not clearly not Starfleet, uh, you know, Federation quality. He's he's established as under you know uh, underhanded or uh, uh, unethical at best. Um, so it's very interesting to see the and then we as we noted in our overview, uh, they broke Roddenberry's golden rule. There's lots of conflict among characters. And I saw a, a, a an interview with some of the I think it was with Rick Berman um, about that, where he was saying the way they did it was because he he tried even to the writer's annoyance to uphold Gene's vision of things and bend the rules rather than break them outright. And the way they bent the rule in this case without breaking it was they introduced all these non Starfleet characters. And it's them who have the real conflicts with each other. If you look at right. the Starfleet people, they may have a little friction, but it's not the same kind of conflict. Apart from Cisco and Picard. Apart from Cisco and Picard, which right. even by the end of it, they're kind of reconciled. Yeah. And that's a, kind of a special circumstance for both of them. That's right. um, the, it's interesting. You mentioned the cast makeup. And, you know, we noted in talking about Next Gen that the cast is – kind of essentially a remix of the elements of the original series cast. So Mm -hmm. like Spock gets split into Data being the logical one, Worf being the most alien one, and and Deanna Troy being the half-breed with telepathic powers. Um, But here... You you really don't have that. I mean, mm-hmm. you do have Odo as the most alien person um, and kind of as, you know, he's kind of like Worf, except he's more vulnerable than Worf and he doesn't have the warrior thing going. He's just got the law and order thing going. Yeah. Um, but um, but you really can't map the characters of the original series onto these guys. Mm-hmm. The way you can in other series, including not just Next Gen, but Enterprise as well. That's true. Yeah, very mm-hmm. clearly in Enterprise. Um, this the last last little bit of trivia is uh, this episode was nominated for four Emmy Awards, which um, only three other episodes of Trek were nominated for that many Emmys uh, in, wow. in, a, in a year. Um, all of the usual visual effects and sound editing and set direction or art direction uh, categories. The Trek doesn't get the respect of the, the, you know, actor and the prestigious ones like that. But, you know, at least they won for those. So good for them. Uh, Dennis McCarthy, who's the composer, 
did win for the award, uh, the award for the theme music for the series, so not just for a mm. single episode. Mm. So, just interesting. All right, so I guess, I guess that's it from us uh, on on the emissary. So we'll ask, we'll throw it out to the, you, the listener. What do you think of uh, what we had to say about the emissary? What do you think of the emissary episode? Um, let us know. So go to sqpn.com slash Trek or to the SQPN Facebook page. Find this episode there and leave us feedback in the comments or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. You can find links uh, relevant to our discussion on our show notes at sqpn.com. Please go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, TuneIn, and uh, Stitcher to subscribe, to leave a review, to leave a comment, that please share like retweet do all those things let other to let other people know about the secrets of star trek so that we can spread the news and grow our audience and reach more people with our discussions um we're having a blast and we hope you are too we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing voyagers first episode caretaker <sighs> oh <laughs> and that was father Corey's side <laughs> so, so it's like all the pilots to the even numbered star trek series are good and all the pilots to the odd numbered star trek series well, something like that well maybe broken well we'll have to see when we get the broken bow whether that holds up so yeah. un- until then jimmy aiken thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of star trek live long and prosper father Corey stika thank you as well well thank you don And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, please check your paw before heading out to the Gamma Quadrant. This is Dom Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcast you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give.